Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited for this special guest. She is a teacher, she's one of the holiest people I've ever met, and she gave birth to me. Introducing my mom. Welcome to the Enter My Shoes podcast. In each episode, I look to inspire, talk about something new, or interview a guest. Enter My Shoes, where the stories smell, but they don't stink. Please hey. meet all of you. Hey, Mom. Yeah, thanks. Here, let's, see. let's sit down over here. Okay. Would you like a cup of coffee while we chat? No, I'm okay. Hey, folks, I'm really sorry, but for the first half of this podcast, there was a buzzing sound in the background because my mom's fish tank was still plugged in. So I'm really sorry about that, but if you want to uh, skip all of the buzzing background noise, go to a little past the seven-minute mark, maybe around 7.10, and uh, enjoy. So how are you on this beautiful morning, Brian? Whoa, 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 I'm the host here. I get to ask the questions, Mom. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. This is a great morning. <laughs> have you ever been on a podcast before? I have not. See, did you... I am still growing. It's a first. Did, did you wake up this morning thinking that you were going to be on a podcast? Had no idea. Have you ever listened to a podcast in your entire life? Yes. It's what Rachel and Daniel do. Are those podcasts? <laughs> yes, it, uh, Rachel and Daniel, for those of you who don't know, those, those are my, uh, my sister and her husband, and they produce a, a podcast called Ecstatic Existence. What gets you going in the morning? What, what wakes, what, what, you wake up every morning at 5.30 a.m., if not earlier. What drives you? I'm happy to be alive. I give thanks just to be alive, and I like my job. So I love teaching, so I like getting up to go do my job. And if I'm not teaching, I like to get up and look at on my back porch all the beautiful flowers, and it's just, yeah, happy to be alive. Aren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and I'm only alive because of you, Mom. Well, thank you. It's an honor <laughs> being your mother, even though you rate me at a 5 out of 10. <laughs> I was joking you were a 5 out of 10 as a mom. Wow. What I just want to, you know, what if it I gives, rated you as a son? Well, it gives you something to work towards. Oh, right. Start at a 5, and then if you give me some more presents around, you know, Christmas and my birthday, you can bump that up to a 6 in no time. Oh, that's how it works. I see. Well, I told you I'm a lifelong learner. I'll really strive for that one. Where are you going? I'm getting your toast so they don't burn. Oh, thank you. Oops. Okay, okay, so if you're a lifelong learner, what are some of the things that you've learned lately that you'd like to share uh, with the audience? Nothing like putting me on the spot. Let's see. Well, a lifelong learner can pull out knowledge at any time, right? Sure. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I don't know if there's anything that you've... Any revelations in the last couple months or weeks? I think learning how to be a facilitator. I wish when I was a parent I had been more of a facilitator because, you know, as a teacher all these years, you learn that uh, saying yes and just not really answering questions, just turning it around and helping kids uh, think more and ask their own questions is a better approach. And as a parent, I wish I had done that. So, you know, as a teacher, you're always growing and learning new techniques to inspire kids to be their personal best and to strive for their highest level of effort and without telling them what to do. And so 
I'm still learning how to do that, and I definitely could have done a better job of that as a parent. What got you into teaching in the first place? Um, you really want to know? Sure. I mean, you've been a teacher your whole life. You were telling us yesterday how uh, you you worked as a instructor, a fitness instructor. You've done... Um, I taught ballet. You've done one-on-one personal training. Yeah. So you've always been taught a teacher Pilates. in some form or another. But yeah. sure, yeah, what's the real answer? The, taught the, Pilates. The audience is dying to know. Oh, no, they're not. But just, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I figured I, that was one of my things that I'm called to do is to teach. And then I was thinking about going into nursing because I do like caregiving. But when I decided to go back to school, I would have had to have redone all my sciences. And so I just knew teaching would be compatible with uh, thing that other kinds of teaching that I'd already been doing, teaching dance and Pilates and fitness. And then it was really a God thing. A God thing. So <laughs> yeah. was that uh, you heard something or you just felt it or like what? Probably both. You hear it in your heart. You hear it with your soul, not really your ears. But yeah, I knew it's what I'm supposed to do. And I know it's right because... So were there signs? Like, did, did were you pondering it? And then you, there was a little kid that was struggling with his math, and you walked up and you helped him. You're like, I could do this for thousands of kids for generations to come. Not quite that profound. <laughs> no. I kind of thought I needed to start a career and have the, uh, the security of a job. And I went to the Catholic school, and they said you'd need a degree because I thought maybe, even though I had a degree, I didn't have a teaching cert. So I thought maybe I could teach there without a teaching certificate, and the principal said no, but he said, go to St. Martin's. There's a great uh, program at St. Martin's, call it our university. And so that was kind of the inspiration. I just thought, well, I've you know gone this far as to ask for a job or interview, and I need to have this teaching certificate, so I just persevered and did it. So let's get back to the, the calling thing. Do you think everyone has a calling? Probably different for other for everybody, but I think if you find your what brings you joy, you're going to find happiness and money will follow, and that's how I've always believed. So just do what you already like to do, and then you'll get paid for it eventually. Yeah, and you may have to do things you don't like to do to support what you do like to do. Like I tell my students, you might not like math now, but it's going to support whatever job you get. You're going to utilize it. So if you stay strong in it, keep the doors open. And I like learning. I've always liked learning from the time I was a little kid, so it's a natural. And so, yeah, the calling, for me, it was a God thing. For other people, I think it's just find your joy and be willing to work hard. It takes effort, you know, and sometimes you have to do some things that you don't really want to do in order to fulfill the bigger dream. Awesome. Thank you. All right, we're going to cut to commercial break, and we'll be back in a little bit. Bye-bye. Thanks. Hey, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for listening. I really appreciate the support. Thank you so much. We'll continue it over, over food. All right, you're boosting you your coffee? score up to a six now. Do you want coffee? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want some coffee? Uh, no, thank you. All right, I want to go into the religious aspect. Yes. Not a debate, but in the form of just, I want to, I think it's interesting because you have more like a a tuneness for the supernatural. Mm -hmm. You've had more supernatural things happen to you. Are we on? Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) 
Is this thing on? Yeah, so, I mean, tell us, uh, what was, like, I'm going to turn up the volume here. What was, like, the first suit calling or thing that ever happened to you? I mean, you have a pretty interesting childhood growing up with how many brothers? Four older brothers. And, uh, you guys were all, like, an Italian family, had to go to church every Sunday. Yes, my mother was probably the driving force. My father <clears throat> was also raised Catholic, but I think he kind of just went along with it mostly because my mother did, and she wanted to raise the kids Catholic. So we went to Mass every Sunday, received the sacraments. But, you know, I um, rejected religion. When I was about 12, I started reading Khalil Gibran and What's Alan that? Watts and different... What was that first one? Khalil Gibran, G-I-B-R-A-N. French name? No, I think he's like Iranian or something. K A H. And what, what did you learn in that? That's more. Well, it's poet. It was kind of poetry and kind of philosophy. I was always interested in philosophy as a little kid, even. And then when I was about twelve, I rejected organized religion. Told my parents I would not go to Sunday school anymore because. Wait, let's go back to the Khalil Braun. What did you learn from those? And Alan Watts. That's more uh, like Eastern. Philosophy, uh, philosophies yeah. and so well Alan Watts was more in high school but Kilogra Brown was this um, I always liked poetry and I think I was always like even as a little kid a pretty deep thinker loved nature um, so I had this deep affinity and love for the beauty and nature flowers and animals and bugs and so you just thought that uh, maybe you were like more one with everything whereas maybe Catholicism uh, or just the church in general it's like you turn it's like a light switch you're religious when you're in church and then outside of church maybe not so much yeah and that's how I looked at it I would we would go to church and then I'd watch everybody get mad at each other and I thought this is such hypocrisy so I really struggled with that and then when I really and as a teenager listening to the some of the um not the homilies but the even the biblical passages from the old testament there's a lot of god is fear and fire and brimstone and I just thought, no, I know there's a God, but my God's a God of love. And I just decided I wasn't going to go anymore. It just seemed, hip, you know, hypocritical. And so I struggled with the kind of male authority of the Catholic Church and a lot of things I questioned, you know, as a young woman, birth control, all those things. So I looked into a lot of Eastern religion type things and just... I didn't go to church very much, except on holidays when our family went. And Did then, you find any answers in those Eastern religions? And yeah, and you know, part of what, when I was in high school and then going through college, I recognized that there's more similarity between all world religions than there is difference. So they're love-based, most. But Even, do you think Muhammad, Buddha, and Jesus are all kind of friends, hanging out right now? Possibly. I believe the soul lives in eternity, and the eternal is the eternal now, and the eternal now is all love-based, and those great philosophers or people who walked on the earth had similarities. But now that I've gone through my faith journey, because um, I did spend a lot of time away from organized religion, um, and I saw a lot of similarity between religion, and I love science, so I would see the relationship in science and religion. So that's, that's drew me all through college and after college and then got married young and started having babies and decided that um, yeah you wanted to raise me in the Catholic Church yeah I decided our children well that's part of getting married in the Catholic Church you make a commitment to raise your children but I also knew that it would be an important piece of your development to have 
a faith foundation, and so I did start taking you to church in Sunday school, all the kids. And I hated it. You were good, though. You know, you were amazing. Like, I always thought you might even be a priest because you understood on a deep level what was behind just the words. And you asked a lot of questions, and you just knew a lot of the facts, but the, more than just the facts, you knew kind of the truth of the love part. I mean, well, you, It's because I had that children's book that you wouldn't let me read during church. I wanted to you know, be proactive and learn during church, but you never let me do that because you wanted me to sit there and listen to this guy who was saying things beyond me, but I don't know. Anyway, it was a long journey. So after, uh... I thank you. Thank you for giving me the, the kudos for picking things up. Yeah, yeah it was you fun. Did, it's yeah. interesting. I mean, uh, as a kid, you're not really learning the same thing in school. So. And it is a lifelong journey. I'd have to say, it's in my 40s that I really came to accept some of the teachings of the Catholic Church because, and to see the truth behind it. Like it's more, the more you learn and read and study you can see beyond just the words or what one or two people are presenting to you. You see the universality and the love that it's all love-based and it's all about charity and forgiveness and asking forgiveness and trusting the mercy of a loving God. Do the crusaders love other people? You know, that people always throw that out. You and your brother, you just kill me. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, and Rachel too. But the crusaders well, it's just such an easy thing to in back any on. period in history, or non-religious, there are people who are power hungry. And so no one today, well, I wouldn't say no one, that's a pretty blanket statement, but the world leaders today in the Catholic Church are embarrassed about the Crusades and many of the atrocities that have happened. And that's true across organized religion. You have good people and bad people because we're human. We have a propensity to do wrong. We're, you know, we have the temptation always to choose right or wrong. And we sometimes don't even know which is which. And so when you talk about joy in a job, it's discerning what is best for you. But it's not just like our society's become pretty selfish. It's all about me, me, me. I'm going to do it. And if I don't hurt anybody else, it's okay. But that's, there are universal laws that say you have to be, we're called to be charitable. We're called to put other people before ourselves and have empathy. Are those man-made laws? No, <laughs> that's beyond man. Now, again, we can argue that forever. Because who would ever know? But I have a, a very profound sense that when we're in alignment and in accord with right behavior towards others and loving, charitable, forgiving behavior, things work out your way. And if you face struggles, which we all do, good things happen, I mean, bad things happen to good people, that still is a guide. That's the, something that allows us to, to live life with uh, a sense of integrity, knowing that we've done right by other people. So. All right, I'm going to pivot a little bit. So um, I think that was all good what you were saying. Uh, but, oh, yeah, we have, some, we have some people coming through for, what are they doing? They're going to do hula downstairs, so I better let them in. Okay, Hold on. we'll take a break. All right, Mom, those are some great answers. Yes. I, I do have one question for you. So if energy cannot be created nor destroyed, does that mean you never truly die? That's true. <laughs> I believe in eternal life, eternal life in Christ. 
that you enter into a new eternity or you enter into eternity and your soul prevails prevails mm-hmm. through through your uh, willingness to cooperate with the love of God and so um, so I don't really believe in the same like heaven and hell like a place it's a state of being and the soul determines that in this life whether you're going to be at complete peace more readily or you have to kind of the soul prepares for a perfect peace so is it a measurement of all the actions that you've taken in your life no I think it's an openness to God's love and mercy because uh, it's it's all about being humble in this life I think you can create all, all kinds of havoc and have done um, lots and lots of wrong but it's not like measure by measure and you have to suffer or I believe well, I believe Catholic, pretty wholeheartedly as a Catholic. No. Well, they had purgatory where you had to kind of yeah, there's overcome a your sins. What do you think? That was like a burning? Well, it's not so much a overcoming your sins. It's the soul preparing for the perfect love and light that is God. But how does someone even determine that that's a place? Is this just someone making it up or did someone go there and come back? Well, I think people, high theologians would say it's not a place. It's a state of being that the soul is preparing for perfect unity with God. And we can, we're striving for unity in this life. Did you ever see Pirates of the Caribbean? Mm, no. Not all the way through. I probably fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> My mom is uh, not clinically diagnosed with narcolepsy, but she has slept through uh, most anything. <laughs> Movies. It could be the most intense movie, like Avatar or Star Wars, and you could fall asleep through it. I think sometimes if it's too intense, my body shuts down, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I fall asleep. Sorry. Anyway, well, Pirates of the Caribbean, <laughs> there's one scene where the main pirate, Jack Sparrow, gets stranded on an island, and he starts, he's there by himself, but he's kind of hallucinating. Maybe that's similar to what that would be like. I think it's, it's as real as this life. I believe that. I believe the soul exists in just another realm beyond time and space and you know we're kind of knowing that there are these other space-time continuums that go beyond what we know as reality now and that's what I believe with heaven qu- is with quantum mechanics well even beyond physics qu- even beyond quantum physics but I think there is a, a reality that is what is the difference between quantum mechanics and quantum physics I don't really know I'm not a scientist per se I have an interest in it but I couldn't tell you the difference but you teach science no I don't I teach math Oh, you used to teach math and science. Yes, but not that level. Come on, seriously. All right, well, let's get back to teaching. What? Uh, <laughs> I don't want to mislead any of our listeners uh, that you are a doctor or a PhD of physics. No, or religion. I'm not a theologian, but I, I believe the world is created for love and that, yes, there is eternal life. Did you know that Stephen Hawking passed away? I know. He's brilliant. Did you follow any of his works? No, but I... Not not in detail, no. So you're, you're a math teacher. What is that like? Uh, it's, it's a fun challenge. You know, inspiring kids to believe with a growth mindset that they have the capability of doing math. All people are capable of doing math. But so it's what do you say state to the kids? Mind. This was the thing that always frustrated me when I was going through school studying math is I could go home and it would take me two and a half, three hours to work on something and the kid next to me sleeping would get it done in like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, I think some people have uh, either an interest or kind of a natural problem-solving mind, and it depends. You probably were good at other areas that that kid was struggling with. That's the thing to be reminded of, too, is even though one concept you might struggle in, another one it's going to be your forte. 
And that's why in education now, it's a lot about collaboration because, and that's, you know, when you ask what are some of the challenges I'm learning, that if I don't just tell students one pathway to, to solving a problem and I really open it up to their conjecture, their thinking and questioning, it's very exciting for them and for me when there's multiple pathways of getting to the same end. And that's what I think education has transitioned even from when you were a kid. Can you give an example of that? What do you mean, like the different learning types? So you have a kinesthetic learner, like through uh, movement, you have an audio, no, not just, learner, not you just have learning a styles. visual learner. Yeah, not just learning styles, but that's important. You want to offer opportunities for those styles. But, but it's but you're saying meeting them where they're at? I mean, what I always well, hated was I, the teacher would say, here's some problem, you can't understand it, like attempt to figure it out. And we would attempt, and then she'd be like, okay, here's how to actually do it. And then we're like, okay, and that was like come a, a longer form. And then she, she would be like, well, here's the way to do it really fast. And it's like, why didn't you just teach us the really fast way off the bat? Well, because the research shows if a student, a person, understands the why, the process, which is oftentimes longer, they will remember it and it will make more sense. And if it makes sense to them, they can learn more effectively. So that's, that's and actually that was starting when you were in school, this idea of productive struggle. Like, do you remember hearing the word disequilibrium? Like it's okay to feel like you're confused and you don't not quite there. You're not getting it right away, but then you patience with the process, persevere, and then you and kids through their own discovery and dialoguing, talking, and coming up with solutions and realizing there's more than one pathway. Then they get excited. Then they're more likely to remember it. That's kind of the key. They will remember it more if they've struggled and found it on their own rather than me just teaching an algorithm. This is how you do it step by step. So it's kind of, but it's a balance, you know. Yeah, I guess. Um, will you tell really quickly about the, the colors? What colors? The, the different the temperaments of a student. Oh. Well, in education, that's another thing. But I also really believe this, that a student can learn more effectively if they're in a good headspace, you know, if their emotions are in, ch in check. So there's this program called Zones of Emotional Regulation. And so if a student is in the green zone, and actually they use this in primary schools a lot too, but more and more in higher levels. Um, if you're in the green zone, you have this readiness to learn, you're calm, you're open, you're feeling confident, you're productive. If you come to school tired or maybe sad or somebody hurt your feelings and you're in the blue zone, you're less likely to want, want to learn. So you have to try to find ways to get yourself into the green. And if you're in the yellow zone, you're irritated, not so excited to learn. Somebody's really got under your skin or you're frustrated with the process. And so you, you, the goal is to get back to green also. And then if you're in the red zone, you're like ready to explode, throw a chair across the room, punch somebody out, or you're in fight or flight mode because of some family trauma. Or and Is that the words that they use, punch somebody out? Less of the words I use. You want to feel like, you feel like screaming something profane. You're so, probably in the red zone, and that's where you're in a fight or flight. You're not really going to be able to learn in that zone. So, so do you find students actually speaking in color codes? It depends on how intentional a teacher is teaching it. Little kids, when it's taught intentionally in schools, they do. For my kids, you know, if I were to say get yourself to green, they know exactly what I'm talking about because I've direct instructed this little simple process that I just taught You'll you. You'll open up the class saying, okay, everybody get to green. No, I say, where are you today? Sometimes, um, where, you know, where are you and how will you get yourself to green? Oh, we have some folks coming in now, but that's okay. For Hula. Um, 
I think it, I don't think the audio will be too ruined, but yeah, people are coming in for hula practice down below. <laughs> we tell people what hula is if they don't know. It's Hawaiian dancing. Yeah, you, you're pretty and, good at it. And mm-hmm. no, well, no, <laughs> I, it's fun, and I have done a little bit, but no, I'm not that good. Thank you, though. Um, so these colors, is that just because people have a hard time articulating and communicating how they actually feel, so it's easier to, like, a color resonates more? It's a psychological... Yeah, and it's a tool for kids, yeah, and it is that representation, just like in math. Math representation is making a connection to learning, but I think, you know, our society has... We don't really know how to be in touch with our emotions, so I think this is a really good step in the right direction. It's kind of a movement. Even the First Lady talked about helping kids get... Uh, you know, we need to help young people understand their emotions and how to manage their emotions so you don't have people with road rage or shoot them up rage. It's like understanding your emotions. How do you self-monitor and regulate your, and get yourself to a, a healthy, I'm okay kind of emotional state? Of, so, yeah, I think it goes hand in hand with learning because definitely when kids are feel safe and they feel like they're heard and they, they can learn more effectively. And uh, you probably do have some students that are come to school in the red often. Is that not, something that happens? Uh, not violent red, but kids who've been abused or there's true trauma in their lives. They're t- more more likely red looks like for them just really disengaged, like totally somewhere else. So it's different than the blue zone. It's like they're they're just numb to everything. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what it is, or they just have an interest in video games or sports they'd rather just be doing something else i just think they're kind of they're kind of dead to the world but you'd also have kids who have anger man you know they can't manage their anger very well so these are tools that i think are going to help people the more we learn how to use them you know for students understanding where they are and how they are in control of their own emotions or they can reach out for help if they don't know how to get themselves to a, a readiness to learn a happy kind of mental state so it's managing and it's for adults too you know like how many adults do you know who just fly off the handle and yeah but most adults i know would kind of laugh at the idea of saying i'm green right now well you might not use the colors but just understanding this very simple model that there's these different ways of talking about different emotional place and how do you because there's tools then some that then that you also have to directly instruct kids tools to get back to green are to breathe deeply count to 10 i mean it seems like common sense but not everybody, even adults, use that. Go to your happy place. I teach them how to go on a little mind journey to the beach, you know, and imagine the sun shining and birds chirping. You do that before a test? Yes. Yeah, they do that in public speaking. Um, before you go up and give a speech, that might be something you do. Imagine your beach, at the beach, uh, your toes actually in the sand, like right. breathing in the air, just kind of clearing yeah. your mind. But And bring in all your senses. And then it's like, and then I, I tell students before a test, the information is in your brain. It's like a computer. But when you, when you stay calmer like that. It's like the matrix. Yeah, when you stay calmer, you can access information more, gotcha. more likely. So... Wow, we've covered a lot of ground. That's my whole life in a nutshell. Is that your whole life in a nutshell? <laughs> yeah, is there anything that you think, uh, any prof- anything profound, anything tangible you think people could start implementing today? Well, to trust how loved you are, Brian. <laughs> that Me would in particular? Be, no, that would be true well, for the audience. For the audience, too. Just to trust that people, that we are all lovable. And if we can believe that, we become more lovable and we're able to love other people more, more holistically, more genuinely. 
And it's not love the, like... Yeah, like, what do you say to the people that see love as just kind of like, oh, okay, that you're just saying that word like that's that. It's not love like gooey. I know, even Jeffrey, like, love, 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 mom. No, it, it's like when it's from your heart, you genuinely care, but you have to believe that you are worthy of receiving love. And that's why God is important. God loves us no matter what. Now, can we separate ourselves by doing wrong and kind of moving away intentionally? We move ourselves away from God. God's love and mercy is pouring over you all the time. And when you believe that, then you can start to love people in this life more authentically because you but believe you you're lovable. A lot of even saints like uh, St. John, and I just read this book about Muhammad, the you know prophet for uh, Islam, but that they go through this dark period. Oh, yeah, the dark it, night of the soul. Yeah. And you want to talk about that? What do you want to know? I don't, I, you know, I think, well, the, I, I know from reading a lot of the lives of the saints, the dark night of the soul is a separation where you don't feel worthy. They are so humble. They are so humble that they feel unworthy of even God's love or they don't get the, the you know, the happy feeling. So, you know, some people have a euphoric experience when they're really feeling united in, in love or a religious kind of, state of being but the saints even though they have it intellectually they know god's love they um would feel unworthy so then they enter into this dark night of the soul and it's a purgation it's like purgatory on in this life it's like that productive struggle but they feel a real emptiness and an unworthiness even though they're with other people and they're doing like helping now yeah like mother Teresa of calcutta she was now a saint she, for 30 years, was experiencing the dark night of the soul. She would go out and serve the de- dying and, you know, nurse and, and help people. But when she was alone, she did not feel any kind of, um, kind of peace or with, with God. She felt very, very alone. But she did everything she for thirty knew. years. Some of them just say two yeah, years. Yeah, right. She experienced a very. So, what do you think keeps a person like that going? Kind of blind trust. It's that leap of faith. We never. Nobody really knows anything, right? It's that blind. Not no one knows anything. I mean, really, think about it. Well, you can't prove. Even scientists who are constantly unveiling new realms, you know, macrocosm, microcosm. We still. Like, how do you know anything is really real? And so she just trusts God. Like, she just would probably say that over and over and over. Jesus, I trust in you. And then that got her through. And doing charitable works, you know, there's a sense of kind of self-worth or self-validation if you're doing right by others and helping. So I think she just lived her life saying, I'm going to do charitable works and just kind of plug away. And she had experienced consolation earlier at different times in her younger life, but she went a long time. And that's where a lot of those saints, they, they've had consolation and kind of peace and love, sensing that love within and around. Like you said at the very beginning, oh, you're like one with the universe. They experience that, so then they know it's possible. So when they have those dark nights, they just hang on to that trust that it's going to get better. So that would be my words of wisdom. Trust it will get better. Yeah, but I want something tangible, Mom. It's just one day at a time, right? Yeah, but you're just like, okay, love everybody, everybody love everybody. Like, yes. Well, it's, but what does you that know, look okay. like? Well, like, what that on, looks like is... something like uh, you can sink your teeth into. What it looks like is... Not just like... Love oh, is action. Yeah. Love is not a feeling. 
that's what okay. it looks like. Describe it. Maybe give something a little bit I just bit did. It's like being willing to forgive people. How it's, I look at it is like, uh, you say, you wave to somebody while you're walking. Yeah, pay and it then, forward. And then the person that doesn't wave back to me, they should just go to hell. Just kidding. <laughs> but no, they don't wave back. And so, yeah, I guess they're coming from a place of, of not love. But Well, they're coming probably from a place of pain. Most people don't wake up being jerks. They are in pain from their childhood or something has happened in their lives where they're just grumpy because, grumposaurus, because they... They're suffering deep down on some Did very you say deep level. Yeah, they're at a very deep level. They're, they're What's a grumposaurus? Somebody who's grumpy all the time. And it's not like I see that I think is the difference is it's realizing not only that if you believe you're lovable, then you can recognize that other people are lovable. And if they're having a bad day and being total jerks, you can have some sort of kind of forgiveness in your heart. Like, like you just said, if they don't wave to you, you're not like, okay, jerk. Instead, you're thinking, okay, I guess you're having a bad day. Sorry, dude. I mean, so you just don't get all bent out of shape about it. Oh, another person here for Hula. Do you need to let him in? Probably. Okay, go for it, and then we'll wrap up. All right, Mom, so just in a nutshell, what do you think is the most interesting thing that you could tell people? Interesting? Sorry, and there is um, chanting below. <laughs> That's the hula chanting. What do yeah, you how about that? What's it like being a part of the Hawaiian culture? It's now like that you just, uh, it, my mom got remarried how many years ago? Three. Three years ago. And so you've practically, you're intertwined in the Hawaiian culture. We're going to a, a, an event tonight. Yeah, a graduation. So parties are big. Any significant event, first birthday, first year after someone dies, all of that is very uh, family celebration. Um, it's lovely, the culture. And since I didn't grow up near family, my dad was military, and you didn't grow up near family because your dad was military. We live... It's it's uh, it's lovely. Yeah. Maybe talk about... Uh, when I think about cultures, you think about food. Um, yeah, the dancing, of... the family orientation, um, total dedication. And whether you're a blood relative or just uh, an islander, there is a deep rootedness in like everyone is family and yeah the food is wonderful um the preparation yesterday we spent hours cutting up food and that was uh just different i mean it's kind of like the italian culture but it's so beautiful with all the flowers and the lays and the the rich dancing and you know you can hear her chanting she's got a gourd that she's tapping that's my mother-in-law and it's 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 very interesting it's beautiful Okay, so if there's any... the aloha spirit, you know, that's all, that's that. Is it aloha or aloha? Aloha spirit. So it's the... Well, that means hello and goodbye. Right, but it's then. more than that. It's that whole generosity of heart. So is there, um, before we go, is there anything you'd like to say to anybody? No, just thank you, Brian, for being my son. I love you. All and right, that well, is not, those aren't empty words. <laughs> that comes from my heart. I well, appreciate it, Mom. And I, my thank, soul. thank you for coming on the show. Um, thank you for all that you do for me. I, uh, you've bumped yourself from over the course of this podcast from a five to a six, and then I, I think to a seven for just coming on to the podcast. So <laughs> thanks, Mom. You're so Here. funny. <laughs> and with a little bit more hard work and practice, you might be able to get yourself up to an eight. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. All right, love you, Mom. Thanks love for coming you. on. <laughs> love you. Bye.
Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening. As an added bonus for listening this far, here's a little sneak peek at the next episode. Because that's, that's the biggest thing, is a lot of people get a, a whole story muddled up and confused. And I think this is a great segue into storytelling, and just like uh, the, the impact of that. Like when you think of a great story, what do you think of? Like uh, Titanic, Braveheart, I'm kind of going through the, the 90s, but Lion King, that's a great story. Wolverine, uh, Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars, yeah, going back into the comic book. Uh, what, what, and this is just off the top of the head, what do you think is the best um, story told in the superhero world right now? Oh, the best? <laughs> this is so controversial. <laughs>